Two dudes talking about Scooby-Doo. Two dudes just like you. Unless you're a lady, mm, this show is for ladies too. If you're LGBTQ, we are your Scooby-Doos. All right, here we go. We're diving right in. The episode that we are doing today is from season three of Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? No question mark, exclamation point. I I feel like that needs to be stated. I'm glad you did state that. And I will state that this is the 34th episode of Scooby-Doo overall. Last week, we covered the first ever episode. 33 episodes later, here we are. Part of the reason that we have chosen this episode is because we had a lot to choose from from this season. And a lot of them have rhyming titles. And I like to think that we picked the best one. Yeah, and I'd say that we we picked it the same way that the writer's room came up with it, which is by the title alone. It's it's really good. Make a beeline away from that feline. Uh, and I'm, I'm curious, before we get too far into it, Evan, could you summarize your feelings on this episode in a word? If, if you had to really boil it down. In, in a single word. I... It's so difficult because I think technically speaking, cat creature is two words. No, nope, that's hyphenated. That's allowable. Okay, excellent. Then cat creature is my answer. Good answer. I was going to go cat monster, also hyphenated. But uh, I do have a word ready for this. Uh, and my word for this episode is ambitious. I think it set out to do quite a lot and it did quite a lot. There, There's definitely a lot there. And it's, I think, one of the more potentially compelling mysteries that the gang has gone on. So how about you, uh, yeah, tell tell our dear listeners uh, what to expect. We've got a little bit of a uh, synopsis here on, uh, on Wikipedia. Yep, the premise is that Daphne's aunt transforms into a cat creature late at night when the cat creature locket glows and robs jewelry stores in her sleep. And, uh, and that's the scene that we open up on on a dreary night in New York, New York. Yes, N- New York City. I... I'm glad that you brought that up because regardless, really, no matter what you said, I was going to talk about this anyway. The animation is shockingly bad. It is surprisingly low budget. And we'll get to the bedroom scene later, which I'm sure you have a note on. I, I most certainly did. Um, <laughs> and it, it's not even like you can get away with it. Like, they, you can't even say ki- just kids are watching this because even kids would notice these mistakes. The thing the thing about this, this particular show is in the introduction... Uh, it pans away to a to a spooky wizard, and when it pans back to Scooby and Shaggy, Shaggy has no arms. Yeah, and you're watching it, and you're thinking, is that maybe Scooby's a little bit in front of him, and maybe it's just, it's kind of blocked, but then Scooby pulls back, and you're like, no, he has no arms. Yeah, it's, it's just no arms. Like, it's the sleeve of the sleeves of his t-shirt end, and that's it. <laughs> and it's, it's in the title sequence. Like, if I was watching an episode of Scooby-Doo and something weird like this happened, I give them a lot, I give them some uh, latitude. Because you couldn't outsource it to Korea back then. They had to do it locally. But this is the intro. We see this every episode of this series. So so the bar has been set. Uh, not terribly high. Right. But but this is this is the opening this is the introduction to your show. But yeah, you know what? We actually bring this full circle because uh they are they are in New York City. It is it is hideously depicted. New York City is, is a city with a lot of people. And they're 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 standing on the street trying to hail a taxi, and it's not that there aren't taxis; it's that a single taxi drives down the street every like two minutes or so, just like the one vehicle. Yeah, this version of New York City is dead, empty, and also the taxi is a good jumping-off point to talk about the uh, the street safety lesson that we get immediately following. Yes. Oh man, it it really is. Um, 
Scooby says they're trying to hail a cab and and they're not doing well. So Scooby says like, oh, like I'll I'll do it. I'll take care of it. And he reaches out. A cab comes by so near to him that his head spins a little bit. But also, he steps his paw out into the road, which is immediately run over by a cab. And uh, then has the classic uh, tire treads on it and flattened quality to it. <laughs> right, yes, exactly. So he, he jumps around holding his injured paw and yelping a little bit. I'll say this episode had a lot of classic elements to it that felt very true Scooby-Doo. And some weird stuff. And Scooby being injured was a weird thing. It is It is one of two instances that I can remember in this episode. Um, but it is... Yeah, just it happens. His, his paw gets run over. Fred says, watch out, Scoob. You could get hurt. And then Scooby says, like, I am, I am. Like, already hurt. Like, my, my paw has been run over. I regret, I regret. If only I had exercised greater caution. It's uh, It's got a strong message. That's that's something. I made a little bit of a note here. Um, obviously, Scooby and Shaggy, they love to eat food. So that's a, a very core aspect of their personalities. I'm glad they, you're circling they, around to they it. They buy a mile-long hot dog. This is the episode to watch if you ever wanted to see an animated dog deep throat a mile long hot dog. <laughs> he, he just keeps going. Sco- Shaggy's like carrying the, the hot dog out front and Scooby's way behind munching his way catching up to Shaggy. It, it really is. The reason I use that word is not to be crass. But because if you watch the animation, he's really sliding his gullet. <laughs> it it really takes a, I mean it's it takes a full neck movement. Yeah, you, know, you really gotta work that hot dog, dog. Uh, but to pivot to a couple of my notes, uh, my first note was that there is a hugely colorful cast of characters in this episode. We don't have the issue of uh, there's only one person who could be the villain. It could be quite a few people. And the most interesting character for me was the hot dog salesman. Who is this man that sells mile-long hot dogs, and how does he do it? For sure. I mean, it's it's clearly not a mile long, right? It's got to be like 20 feet. It's, it's like a 20-foot-long hot dog. Yeah, and they're carrying it uh, between them uh, on their shoulders like a girder. I mean, this thing's got some structural, or integ- some structural integrity. And uh, I guess this is what happens when you've got 11 people on story credits, including a story editor. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad you watched the credits too. (laughs) Yes, I knew it. I'm so glad you checked that too. I I definitely wrote it down because I was like 11, I put it in all caps, 11 people wrote this story. Gosh, yes. And as a result, the story is convoluted. There were a lot of hands in the pot for this one. I guess it's like a too many cooks kind of scenario. Like maybe, even if, look, if you halved it, if you halved it and rounded down, it would still be five people on the story. Just laying down tropes. Like five people on a 22-minute episode. So each each person was able to plot like four minutes. Like it's when you bring out to the 11, it's a person every two minutes, like a writer per two minutes. And that's not even counting the story editor and the, the host of other credits that we've got in this episode. Well, all that to say, again, there's a whole lot going on. And so we open up on the streets of New York. Scooby and Shaggy are uh, munching on this mile long. Right. They uh, they look over. I-, I know that you said it opens up on New York City. I I need to tell you that you're first of all, you're wrong. No. Yep. No, it doesn't. It, uh, it opens up on the premise itself. It-, it opens up on a person you will find out is Aunt uh, Olivia Dervy, Daphne's aunt. Yep. And and she ostensibly becomes a cat creature. Yeah. And I- I'm going to nitpick a step further here, my friend, to say that Aunt Olivia Dervy lives in New York. 
This uh, is still New York City. Okay, I am not fine, wrong. you're right. It still opens up on New York City. I'm right. Yes, yes, your home state. Uh, uh, I, I want to I wanna make a few comments about the cat creature itself, because obviously the, the monsters, I think that's part of what gravitated me so strongly towards Scooby-Doo. It wasn't just that it was a cartoon. It wasn't just about this this delightful cast of characters, two of whom eat a lot, and I was a fat kid, so like that resonated with me. It's the fact that there are monsters. Uh, so the cat creature very easily could have been just a were cat. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. I I just yeah I just want to describe to our readers and and we do have plans so we'll put like images up on on our website if you want to head on over there. The cat creature looks like a were cat, more or less, but also has a red cape. Yeah, for real. And also like like seams to, that look like gloves and boots, which communicate the idea that it's a suit. Like gloves and boots, what looks like a super villain outfit. Kind of like it looks, yeah, it looks like a superhero or a super villain. Like, like they could have gone like a cat creature implies like a certain amount of like. Mm? Okay, I, I want to say bestiality, but I don't think that's right. <laughs> <laughs> the, this bestial creature, full of bestiality. Okay, it's. Bestial, bestial nature. Is, I, I guess I, I knew it was wrong. It sounded right. I, I would have corrected you with the right one if I could think of it, but I can't. Anyway, uh, I, I just like basically the cat creature looks super whack. Take it away. So, so how we see the cat creature initially? We see Aunt Dolores in bed, and uh, and we see the. Wait, lock, is, sorry, see... is this the episode where I have to correct you every time? Because uh, her name is uh. Her name is Olivia Dervy. Shit. Oh, I'm editing all this out. I'm never wrong. But so we, we open on at Aunt Olivia Dervy in bed. Uh, the full moon is outside the window, and we see it strike. We pan to this locket on her bedside table, and when we pan back to Olivia Dervy, she is the cat creature. And again, it's basically like a male supervillain with these uh, these red mad scientist gloves, and it looks like he's wearing a fake uh, panther head. Correct. It's it's definitely n- never touched on the fact that Aunt Olivia becomes a male monster. And, and I also had a note on that. It's uh, it's just so odd. Is this a a transgender theme way before its time? I almost want to say that the fact that they don't bring it up makes it shockingly progressive. <laughs> Right, it's uh, it's the fact that it's a monster that's a problem. The the transgender thing, <laughs> no, that doesn't matter. That's Aunt Olivia's choice. Right, and and I would love it if right around here you could just splice in audio of the cat creature's sounds. Meow. And uh, and then we cut back to we cut to the beginning that we've already sort of described. The gang in New York, New York, uh, foot long hot dog uh, cab runs over Scooby's foot. Then what? So directly next to the mile-long hot dog store is a jewelry store, Bixby's Jewelry Store. And they hear some sort of commotion going on inside. Apparently, apparently the jewelry store is hella hot, and so the windows are all fogged up for some reason. Yeah, Scooby-Doo has always played pretty fast and loose with the weather. Right before, right before this, Scooby, due to his horrific entry, he falls on a manhole cover. It's not explained why there's no cover on this manhole. I thought, as I was watching, I thought, oh, the cat creature did it. Definitely not. Like, that's not what happened at all. No, I mean, we've, we did have a lesson at the beginning about road safety. Now we've got a lesson about being safe around uh, manhole covers. Really, this, this episode is a stinging rebuke of the New York manhole maintenance department. 
And this episode is demanding change. Cover your holes. <laughs> Cover your holes. <laughs> so, uh... They, I think we found our first t-shirt. The condensate... Scooby Dudes. Cover, Cover your, your holes. holes. <laughs> oh, gosh. So, as they're looking at the shop, uh, they're wiping away the, the fog from the, the glass, and they see through there the, the cat creature. And the cat, the cat creature... And it, it yowls at them. Which distracts them from the fact that Scooby is falling down that manhole that we talked about. And I think this is the many writers at work here. Sometimes it works in their favor. Um, and it also kind of hits on a theme of this episode of getting split up. They, they get, uh, they get, the group gets broken up and not, not intentionally. Well, I guess a little bit intentionally. There's, there's a couple points. <laughs> Caught myself before you could correct me. <laughs> Man, you're, uh, you're catching on, I see. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, the cat creature, like, as cat creatures do, robbed this jewelry store owner blind and took all his jewels. Scoob, in, in the sewer, the cat creature runs past him, uh, a bobble or an emerald of some sort, lands on his collar, and then they're like, oh, that was a cat creature we saw, he was stealing the jewels. Exactly that. And, uh, and maybe we'll cut this for the final edit, but uh, as the cat creature was running, I got a real New Orleans vibe. Um, he's like running with all these jewels clutched to his chest and they're like bouncing around. Um, okay, yeah, this is definitely not making the final cut. <laughs> but it had been a slutty cat creature that night. Okay, so you know where we're going this summer, right? <laughs> this summer. Okay, so the cat creature runs past Scooby, knocks him down, in the process, Scooby picks up one of these jewels. So, yeah. So we're, we're bringing it all back. The, the gang are able to tie the cat creature directly to the theft. Um, and then they finally manage to hail a taxi and make it over to, uh, to old Aunt Olivia's place. Yep. And, uh, and before they do make it there, they do see the robbed jewelry store owner, Mr. Bixby, who is voiced, no question, by Casey Kasem, a.k.a. Shaggy. It's not even, it's so obvious He's not even trying not to sound like Shaggy. It's it's like in the script they say uh, it was written like uh, Shaggy <laughs> pretends to be Mr. Right, Bixby the jeweler. It's, it's like Shaggy in like a slightly lower octave or or it's it's so bad. It's so it's pretty bad. It's I mean it's funny but it's bad. Uh, but talking to Mr. Bixby, they realize that uh, this jewel that Scooby got was from the cat creature. They make that connection, but they got to call it a night. It's getting late. So they're over to Daphne's aunt's place, which is a pretty nice place. We learned that uh, Daphne is pretty rich. We develop her backstory. Daphne comes from money. Um, and, and I can never remember. I know in other shows, Fred comes from money as well. I'll, uh, I'll take your word for that one. They get there. They bump into a scary doorman uh, named Haskell. He's, he's very large. So, so large, in fact, that I think it's a giveaway that he can't be the cat creature. Yeah, I agree on that one. I thought the same thing. Because the, the cat creature is a normal-sized, clearly male dude, and Haskell is gigantic. Yeah, Has Haskell is built like a linebacker. He, he looks like Lurch from the Addams Family. Yeah, and he's wearing a, a kind of a classy sailor outfit with uh, broad shoulder tassels. Pulls it off. He's, he's rocking it. Uh, they go in. The aunt says, uh, Daphne, strange things are happening. You shouldn't have come. She explains that uh, she received the medallion in the mail. It was mailed to her. She calls it a strange package containing a strange medallion. And then as soon as she got the medallion, uh, she, she kept it by her bedside table with the intent of returning it. And she had a, a an incredible nightmare that she turned into 
a cat creature. Right. So now the gang is up to speed from where we were at the beginning of the episode. And um, we're here with Aunt Olivia Dervy. We get up there, we enter her house, and there's a notable elevator moment. The gang has some patter in an elevator that's going to be important later. And I would also note that when we get to her actual home, uh, there's a lot of locks on the door. There are a lot, and they're all animated. Is that what you're going to bring up? Yeah, exactly that. That they're, They look really nice. It's a nice little touch with attention to detail. And that's the thing with this episode, is that there's crappy animation, but it's right alongside great animation. Yeah, one, one thing that the two of us noted is is for the colorists, which, which you know, the people who animate are not the people who normally color the, uh, the, the frames. There's a big problem with people not... Uh, not coloring the whites of people's eyes. It's it's very obvious. Yeah, and we see that a little bit with the, the cab driver that takes them over to uh, the ant's place when he's uh, leaning over the seat and jawing with the gang. His eyes in one one frame, they're whited in, and another frame, they're not. It's kind of jarring. But but you're right, though, in that, like, yeah, the locks, the locks are lovingly rendered, and she goes through the process. You can tell that Aunt Olivia is very scared. Interestingly enough, not because she's afraid of of a monster attacking her, but because she's afraid she'll become a monster and get out. And if, did, did you ever see The Wolfman? Uh, or the remake, or, or the original, either one. I, I actually haven't, but I remember the night that you, everybody else went out to see it. Yeah, uh, just the whole idea of like, oh, I'm going to turn into a monster, so I'm going to lock myself away and present, pre- sorry, prevent myself from getting out and hurting people. Yeah, it's a, it's a very well thought out little touch, and there's a few of them in this episode. Uh, this exactly is a good example of uh, show don't tell. That that alone, yeah, definitely speaks to some some pretty solid storytelling and 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 some uh, character, some good character work with with this uh, featured guest. Like she's not part of the main cast, right? So. Yeah, and it's six minutes in that we meet the aunt and we start talking to her. And what she says is, let me start at the beginning. So they're really trying to stack on the layers here. And again, I admire the ambition. So, yeah, she's having these nightmares. She, she These jewels appear next to her bedside on her on her nightstand. During uh, their visit, there's another character introduced. His name is Dr. Bell. Uh, and and he, gives, he gives Aunt Olivia a prescription that will supposedly help her with the nightmares. Uh, I don't know... If it's supposed to help with her turning into a cat creature, I don't know how much Dr. Bell knows about that. Yep, at this stage, he's just a doctor with a pencil mustache and uh, and high cheekbones. Yes, he's very spooky looking. Uh, So we have a spooky Dr. Bell. We have a very threatening um, Haskell, doorman Haskell, uh, who, who notably does not seem to like the gang. And that's normally an indicator, an indicator that they are the monster. Yes, yeah. and I'd say uh, Bixby the jeweler, also not above suspicion. I, I would say that Bixby, Scooby-Doo is just complex enough a show that the idea that someone might be pretending to be a monster to self-sabotage for like insurance purposes, completely on the table. Yeah, and I'd say just sophisticated enough that they would throw out a red herring, someone who they, they want to lead you to believe is the villain who isn't. Yes, definitely. More I, more often than not, I feel like there's a red herring character uh, that they have just to just to like sort of knock you off their scent or whatever. Oh, I'm looking at my notes. There's a lot of like meaty stuff up ahead. Yeah. So so it's let's. A, it's maybe a little bit overwritten at parts. Oh, there's so much. So basically, they decide to solve the mystery because they are the you know whatever mystery incorporated. Yeah, it's their thing. It's family. They're in. What what they do is they split up. The package with the, that the medallion was sent in had a return address on it. So they can either, there are two places for them to go. There's the jewelry store that was just robbed, and there is the return address. Yep, and Scooby and Shaggy grab the return address because uh, they notice that it's very close by, and they're lazy, as is an established fact. 
Also, it was established that they're unlucky, which is why it turns out to be a cemetery. In in the heart of New York City. Uh, mind you, I've never been, so I don't I don't know if that's like a a thing, you know, that there will just be like a spooky cemetery in in downtown. Yeah, and a really like English countryside uh, graveyard cemetery with like uneven landscape and well spaced plots. Yeah, kind of like Rolling Hills. Is that is that Central Park? Is Central Park just a gigantic cemetery? Uh, I don't know. We've never been, neither of us. But the upshot is Scooby and Shaggy find out it's a cemetery, and we cut back to the rest of the gang, who are investigating the jewelry store. Yes. Um, and what they, what happens is they find a trapdoor in the floor. Yeah. It's, it's not well explained how that trapdoor got there. Yeah, when Velma discovers a trapdoor, kind of typical for her, and we know the cat creature was in the jewelry store, then in the sewer. And indeed, that's where this trapdoor leads. So we either have to assume that this was a pre-existing trapdoor that Bixby knew about, or that the cat creature tunneled in from the sewer, lovingly crafted a, uh, a detailed, <laughs> ornate, and polished trapdoor... I, I guess so that if Bixby was ever cleaning a store, I mean, like, he's a, he's a business owner. He wants the place to look nice. That, that he would think, oh, this this looks so nice. It must have always been there. Oh, man. We are really going to get into picking apart this mystery. Um, so Scooby and Shaggy are in, in the cemetery. And, and what should appear before them but a number of cat creature statues. Yeah, you see the first one, and it's already a little disconcerting. And then there, you just see all of these cat creature statues. So it goes from zero to 60, from mystery to mythos. And it, it's so fascinating because, once again, the cat creature has a dumb, goofy design. Yeah, it's, it genuinely looks like someone made it in their basement. Uh, but then you we get here, and then there's genuine stone statues all over the place of it. Right. They, and then what happens is there's, there's a mausoleum. Uh, is that right? Like a mausoleum? Like a, or like a crypt? That has, like, cat creature statues, like, on it, you know, as part of its uh, architecture. Yeah, all over the place and built into the thing. And you, you kind of wonder, like, is this a cult episode or something? Uh, and, and obviously, the cat creature shows up because Scooby and Shaggy are always the ones who get attacked. And it, attacked is what they get. And it's uh, a very classic setup for it where they see what they think is a statue and it turns out to be the monster. And vice versa, they... Um, or they see a statue, they think it's the monster, then they see the monster and they think it's the statue. Uh, and So then the monster's yeah, a, chasing yeah. them around the crypt, and it's a genuinely scary moment, because the rest of the gang is far, far away. They're totally isolated, especially in this I Am Legend version <laughs> of New York City. Yeah, it it's scary because there's nowhere for them to go. It's not like in like other episodes where they can just like uh, sneak into what is it a bakery I think in the last yeah vibrate through the door of a bakery <laughs> right exactly I I don't know what when that episode is taking place but but they they can't hide essentially yeah um, because it's it's, it's an it, open area they can't really duck into a, a hallway or a corridor well, what ha- what happens I, I find it interesting that you say that is framed to be scary because it is but then the goofiest thing happens which is that um. I think Shaggy's shirt gets caught on a cat creature statue. Yeah, so they're running past these cat creature statues, and one of them snags Shaggy's collar. It's it's a statue, though. It's not right. the monster. And and the cat creature statue, instead of stopping Shaggy, spins at its base very quickly. Yeah, it's uh, it must have some kind of rotating mechanism under it because it spins smoothly like a, a merry-go-round or uh, whatever the playground equivalent is. So so they're spinning like like crazy. 
and the cat creature cannot grab them. Yeah, it's uh, like trying and, to grab the tetherball when it's out of your reach. It, he just can't get a finger on it. Uh, so, so they're flung off of the statue. The crypt door opens. They they pass into it. The crypt door closes, and then the cat creature is trying to get in. It's never explained how that happens. Yeah, it's never explained why the door opens and later how the cat creature gets in. Uh, but for the moment, we cut back to Fred, Daphne, and Velma, who've gone through the trap door into the sewers, and uh, and we see a uh, a silhouette of a menacing creature that's making some scratching and growling noises. It's it's very obviously a cat. Uh, just because the cat creature is never on all fours, and you can see from the sta- from the shadow immediately that this animal approaching them is on all fours. Yeah, as, as Daphne says when she picks it up, it's only an alley cat. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just an alley cat. Yeah, so not everything in this episode is a good lesson for kids. Maybe don't sit your kids in front of this with no chaperoning. They'll learn to just pick up random cats. Any animal that is not a monster is, uh, is a friend. Yeah, it's, that's pretty fair. But, uh, and then we're back to Scooby and Shaggy. They're back in the crypt. They, they see a coffin, and the coffin says in all caps, the cat creature who shall rise again. Again, some deep mythos back here. And I've mentioned Scooby uh, has also magically produced a, a lit candelabra by which they're reading this text. It's uh, it's ver- it's very gothic. As soon as uh, as soon as Shaggy reads that aloud, the the coffin door starts to starts to wobble and shake. At which point he says, "Oh, it's rising again." <laughs> And, and they leap into the arms of a cat creature statue. Yep, Scooby and Shaggy always jumping into whatever arms are available. You know, if, if, if Velma's not there and it's a cat creature, so be it. Obviously, it is the gang. Uh, it is it is very obvious. The um, gang has climbed out of the sewers and rejoined Scooby and Shaggy. And then Hurrah. I, I did not take very good notes at this point. Then at, at which point the cat creature appears in the crypt? Uh, yeah, he he pulls a manhole cover just off of some random spot and climbs down and from there into the sewers, into the crypt. So they escape. Basically, they run away. Fred says, we found a door. Shaggy says, like, let's use it. And here we have, I think, our shared favorite gag. I'm so, I'm so glad you brought this up uh, because this is our shared favorite gag in Scooby-Doo. Oh, no. Look. We will always spend like five minutes on on this this recurring gag. Oh yeah, because I love it so much. Yeah, and and just to build it up a step further, this is a very unique instance of this gag. Uh, well, take it away, Evan. Right. So so the cat creature is running after them, and and you hear Shaggy say, "Uh, red hots, get your red hots," and then you see that in the middle of this graveyard is a hot dog stand that Shaggy and Scooby are manning. Yep, yeah, absolutely. And uh, and now we finally see the hot dog seller, uh, or at least a version of him imagined through the lens of Scooby and Shaggy. Uh, so what happens is they serve the cat creature a hot dog. And by hot dog, what I really mean is its own finger in a bun. <laughs> yes, indeed. It's classic. Uh, the, the creature sees the way that they're so caringly dressing his finger as a hot dog. He just has to take a bite of it. And it's also just that the social pressure is so great, the situation that Scooby and Shaggy are creating, that it has to buy in. What what happens is, obviously, at first glance, if you were the monster, you would see your finger stuck in a bun. And and 
you'd be like, oh, this is ridiculous. I, I'm not going to fall for this. Yeah, hey, I'm not going to. Hey, wasn't I chasing these guys? And uh, and where'd they get all this hot dog stuff from all of a sudden? Yeah, where did this where did this hot dog cart come from? Yeah, and then um, they got these white aprons out of nowhere. And uh, and this, how has this hot dog cart been stocked? How long have these hot dogs been sitting there? What, what happens is they they keep piling condiments onto the finger dog. Yeah, at first it's just like, hey, that's just my finger in a bun. And then, hey, that's just my finger and some ketchup in a bun. Hey, that's just my finger and some ketchup and some mustard in a bun. And then, oh, I guess it's just uh, ketchup, mustard, relish, and a hot dog. I'm going to eat that. Relish, mind you, is yellow or white. I couldn't really tell. It's not relish. Not, not healthy. Don't eat this. And and all of these condiments are, are on the finger dog. It pans back to the to the cat creature's face, and he's salivating. Yeah, this is a good look. Like, hey, hey, if you guys haven't gotten it yet, this hot dog is looking good. The, the cat creature's eyes are large, like huge. It's it's just ready to chow down mm. on this on this Frank. This, this red hot that, that's that been presented to it. Yeah, you, you can hear the animation director. They can't smell it from the screen, but they need to see it on his face. Uh, and, and obviously, uh, the cat creature chomps down, chows down. Yeah, takes a bite. As a result of which, the finger becomes uh, uh, enlarged, uh, swollen, tumid, turgid even. Which, which kind of communicates the idea that the cat creature is real yeah it does a little bit and there's some parts coming up that make you question the nature of the cat creature i i, I mean we'll get to that when we get to that all i have to say it's a great gag a great example of this uh this trope well executed a, a classic I, I would love i would love if we could just coin it right now a classic scooby shaggy mess around <laughs> mess around yes definitely <laughs> and uh as another smaller trope that that's in the same scene is one where uh, everyone runs away from the cat creature but shaggy is stuck running in place his legs swinging around in a giant circular blur just like pin pinwheels almost pinwheels yes definitely that it's and it actually prevents him from running away he's stuck in spot while everybody else runs right um which allows the ca- uh, cat creature to grab a bit of his shirt ripping it off which is relevant later and and scooby no what happens oh, yep i believe scooby slides over he conjures up a pair of scissors and he slices the shirt yeah and i'm so glad you corrected me on that the creature grabs shaggy by the collar and scooby magics out a pair of scissors and freeze snap snips uh shaggy free and there's a couple of scooby gags that don't make perfect sense oh look we did not even i'm sorry it, it, we didn't even touch on the chicken costume <laughs> because oh man yeah yeah we're, we're gonna backtrack yeah to, to, to our listeners we're trying to make this listenable but apparently the writers didn't want that they wanted uh to, for this conversation to be unhavable it is so jam-packed i like basically what happens is shag when, when they're about to go into the the cemetery shag says oh what are we a bunch of chickens and of course scooby-doo uh says oh hang on i've, I've got a costume for that and he he runs off screen he runs back on screen, and he is he's bedecked in a chicken costume. Yeah, to, to which Shaggy says, again, kind of playing with sexual norms and tradition, what would your father say if he saw you like that? <laughs> <laughs> like, dang, Shaggy, you're getting real with that. And uh, and Scooby's response is just cock-a-doodle-doo. Yeah, he's, uh, but, but it's like his, his ruby, ruby he's, it's, yeah, but it's cock-a-doodle-doo. And, and then they go into the graveyard, and the, the, the suit is gone. Right, it disappears. I wanted to, I wanted to say that in the dog world, um, there's nothing more, more looked down upon than uh than than cuck dressing. Um, but oh gosh. I, I I feel like this is such a weird part out on an island 
that like uh, there's ten writers working on the rest of the story, and then one writer who just wrote a part with a chicken costume, and he's like, "Hey, I'm I'm part of the team. My contribution should be included." I like to think that there's a guy who just loves them dressing up, and the the Scooby Shaggy mess around wasn't enough for him. He had a little extra time during that week of writing. He's like, "If I if I have the time to write this in, Scooby has the time to also have a a." rooster costume a chicken costume yeah and i'd say this is one of those instances family guy uh where scooby-doo did it first whoa all right yeah i mean granted in family guy peter griffin is fist fighting a genuine chicken not just a man in a costume uh and it it really looks nothing like this the scene doesn't progress at all the same but still it's copying it's essentially the i think you owe hannah barbera royal royalties pay them or something of the sort yes uh yeah, so they get away. Um, they're back at they're back at the tower. Yep, they're going up the elevator on their way to uh, Aunt Olivia. One of them says, "Where's Haskell, the doorman? Probably on a break." But you know, Haskell is not on a break. Haskell is hiding behind a potted plant in in the lobby. Yeah, it's this it's this oddly sinister, vaguely incriminating moment that leads nowhere. Yeah, as I've said several times this episode already. It's never explained. Yeah, we never see him again. We just have this moment where it's, hey, where's Haskell? Guess he's on a break. No, he's hiding in a potted plant. At the end of the episode, we haven't seen him again at all. Guess he was on a break. <laughs> right. He's just, it's just, it's just, it would be so easy to to solve if at the end, Aunt Olivia was just like, oh, Haskell's just a creep. <laughs> As he looks on, hiding behind a potted plant far too small for him in the apartment. Yeah, that that's just oh, good old Haskell. He's got to do him. Uh, so we're back up in Aunt Olivia's apartment, where we see her receive another prescription because she's still very flustered. Yes, and and uh, the gang comes with a really, I would say, like solid plan, hmm. which is, you know what? I changed my mind. This is a dumb plan. Like the plan doesn't actually make any sense because the idea is that Aunt Olivia becomes a cat creature. Yeah, that's their assumption, and and the reason they right. really believe that Aunt Olivia is the cat creature is because she's holding the piece of fabric that the cat creature tore off of Shaggy's shirt. So she's got to be the cat creature. Everyone thinks so, except Fred. Gotta love Fred the skeptic. The evidence is really mounting, though, towards yeah. Aunt Olivia uh, being the cat creature. It's quite damning. And and in fact, the fact that she has dreams about it from the beginning, I was like, oh, like that that's something. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, scene one, we've got our suspect, and eight minutes in, we've got our confessor. Yeah, we've like we've bas- we've caught the monster as it were. Yeah, because she is the monster. Yeah, it's it's, it's very interesting. Yeah, my first time through, I stopped ten minutes in. I thought, what they they got the monster. <laughs> I don't know why it's got this weird long epilogue. So so the plan is basically Scoob and Shag they sleep in the bed. Right, because our working theory is that uh, sleeping the ant sleeps in the bed next to the locket and she becomes the monster. So if Scooby and Shaggy sleep in the bed they'll become the monster right like the medallion is still there and will presumably right because we always zoom in on the medallion before we zoom back and we we see the monster so i mean it's there it seems right to make that connection that it's the medallion because it showed up right before this stuff started happening but are they also monitoring aunt olivia to see if she becomes the monster regardless like a double blind test that that's something that's not really touched on is like where is aunt olivia during any of this yeah, overall, there's some worthiness to this experiment, but it's not the best thought out. So the window is open, and so Shaggy's like, hey, Scoob, do you want to go shut that window? Getting chilly. Scooby slithers out of bed, crawls along the ground, shuts the window. He goes back to the bed. 
and uh, Shaggy it's... has become the cat creature, which is a horrifying moment because Scooby Scooby's always facing monsters, but Shaggy is always there with him, and now Shaggy has become the monster. It is unprecedented. Except for that one horrific instance where both Scooby and Shaggy were the monster. If you remember back to that, uh, what episode was it? We, d- we did it a little while ago. <laughs> where they, 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 re- they turn into actual monsters. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, high-rise hair razor. But even then, they were together. So this is probably the most disturbing scene in Scooby-Doo I've ever seen, where Scooby returns to bed to find Shaggy's become a must. And in, in an episode that already has some, some stuff you could interpret sexually, Scooby returns to bed to find his best friend a monster. Is, is this a callback to me talking about the potential of the, the monster having a lot of bestiality? <laughs> And there's this moment where they're in bed together. Will will the beast mate with the beast? What what comes of this union between beast and beast man? It's it's, it's the the beast with two backs. <laughs> oh, but it's it's truly a horrifying moment. Whatever the case, because Scooby is looking on to what he believes to be Shaggy. Because if anybody buys into that the monster is real, it's Scooby and Shaggy. And, and also, I, I do think you touched upon something really interesting, the whole idea of interspersing sexuality and intimacy with horror or scares, because you, you that's how slasher films work, right? Teens are having sex and then people die, and it's just like, oh, I expected something very like intimate and comforting and like titillating, but instead, all I got was like murder and like frightening things yeah it went from the best possible moment to the worst possible moment so yeah that that is what happens uh he goes back he this is the second instance where scooby gets hurt and it's not by the monster he runs by the door and really quick can we play the scene back a little further you know okay so get away yeah yeah so scooby sees that shaggy has become the cat creature and in the most horrifying moment in scooby-doo history for me he says (laughs) <laughs> like like he's looking for some some sign of the man he once knew in this creature before him it's like his eyes are popping out of his skull and he's got this little crooked half smile kind of like yeah if, if he smiles everything will be all right like his friend will come back it's like he's like, shaggy it's you right Raggy? Raggy? <laughs> but it's not all right shaggy the monster tries to grab scooby so scooby runs into the closet i will note whoa Okay, Freud. <laughs> so so the creature runs after Scooby in the closet. He rips the door off its hinges, rips the door from its frame, and begins rifling through the closet. And the music at this point is genuinely scary. Yeah, it's 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 frightening. It's yeah, and so the creature is uh, is yanking all these clothes out of his closet. Scooby's hiding in one of the shirts on a hanger that he pulls out, and he bolts. But the, just the music is really ratcheted up for this scene, and a couple of the scenes after. Yeah, Scooby Scooby sprints to the door and makes to, to yank it open. At which point, Fred, at the exact same time, slams the door open crushing scooby yes and oh, oh sorry one more thing yes yeah, yeah go I'm, ahead sorry this is going to be held to edit together but when the creature pulls scooby out of the closet there's this moment where scooby before he before he jumps and runs to the door he shouts his own name in the ultimate moment of horror and yet self-affirmation that my shaggy you my friend are a monster now but i yet still am scooby-doo you are gone but i am me he I, I am here, and I am Scooby-Doo. <laughs> you're, you're writing a book, right? Like, like the psychology of Scooby-Doo? 
Yeah, I feel like this was the 11 writers at work. I think one of these writers was Freud. Oh, my God. One of these guys, it was Sigmund Freud. Like, it was. Oh, I, here in the credits. There it is. Oh, my gosh. I'm crying. Oh, th- thank you for letting us circle back to that. Oh, no, it's it's fine. It's so insightful. Okay, so so just to bring us back up to speed, mm. Scooby bolts for the door. He's trying the handle, but just as he's uh, trying to pull on it, Fred Fred slams the door open. Scooby is crushed, flattened, and and it, yeah, it is very interesting because the gang does not often, if ever, become hurt. Like like they're never like physically harmed. No, they're often in peril, frequently in a bad situation, but never really hurt. So this is unique, and it's especially weird because when Fred busts in the door, he or the girls say. Uh, Scooby and Shaggy, the cat creature got them, and then they bolt. Yeah, it it is very interesting because sh- because Scooby thinks Shaggy is a cat creature. The, their friends think that the cat creature has, I guess, murdered them. Yeah, and here's the thing. Part of the experiment was they were expecting something to happen, but they weren't really monitoring very closely. So it's kind of a bad experiment from that regard. And then when what you think was their expected outcome happens, one of them, be- one of Shaggy or Scooby becomes the monster. They just write their friend off as dead. To, to this, the scenario for them is that Scooby or Shaggy became the cat creature and then murdered the other one. And they're gone. To them, that means the cat creature got them. Right, exactly. Both of their friends are dead. Nothing more to it. That's it. They run away. They're out. Scooby comes out as a little, like, dog pancake. A dog pancake who uh, the, Fred, Daffy, and Velma bolt out of the room, Scooby behind them, the cat creature behind Scooby, Uh, The gang goes down the stairs, and Scooby slides into the elevator just before it closes, and then makes faces back at the monster. He he's very uh very cheeky about it. You know he does a hee, you know the yeah. Yeah, he makes faces. He sticks out his tongue. He's uh, he's mocking the creature. It's this crazy moment where he too is accepted that Shaggy is gone. Uh, This this isn't Shaggy. This isn't even a monster to be feared. This is a creature to be mocked. He's, he's very confident. The elevator is going down. It, it was pretty obvious that the elevator would, would play a part in this episode because when it shows up, it's either Daphne or Velma. They say, oh boy, an old cage elevator. Right. This is a very special elevator we knew would come into play somehow. It's, it's Chekhov's elevator. Yes. Nice reference. And uh, so as Scooby is making these faces and then the elevator starts to go down, Scooby turns and makes a cool guy face to the camera as if he's trying to sell ring pops to kids in the 90s. <laughs> and, and here's what's in it. It's very cinematically done. Obviously, it's a TV show, but but the camera <laughs> it's, it's a low angle shot. Right. So, yeah, you get the cool guy expression, but you also see the cat creature drop down and land on the on the roof of the elevator yeah like a batman landing on a skylight in the background as we see scooby in the foreground crouching with this cool guy look and then we see the cat creature proceed to tear open the roof the ceiling of the elevator with his claws alone the action is really good and and again it is framed very much like a uh like a horror movie right the whole like the drop down the the show of force and all of a sudden they're, they're both inside the elevator, and and again, to, to kind of go off of this scenario that you've been painting, Scooby is 
forced to confront the man who was once his best friend in the world. He, he has no choice. They're running a, t- a tight circle, a super tight circle in the elevator. There's nowhere to go. I, I love this. It's it's so tight. They're, they're running in circles around an elevator. Until they, they do stop at one point, like Scooby leaning against the wall and sweating. No, here's the thing. They're both sweating. It's, it's true. true. The, the cat creature is like, uh, got a hand on one knee. He's, uh, his head is like panting beneath his shoulders. He's sweating bullets <laughs> leaning against the wall. Dude, I'm looking at it right now. I took a screenshot. We are adding this to the show notes. It's incredible. The best scene in the whole episode. And you see the, the cat creature like sweating through his cat creature head. Right, exactly. It's 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 made of some sort of porous material, uh, evidently. But yeah, and just one more note on this scene. It's it, this is the most isolated we've ever seen a Scooby Doo character locked in a box with the villain, who's no longer trying to scare him off. There's nowhere to scare him to. He's just chasing him with the apparent intent to do harm. At a minimum, we have to assume that the cat creature is a person willing to strangle a dog. Right. The the cat creature is there with the intention of doing harm to Scooby-Doo. Most of the time it is just, oh, I'm going to scare you away. Yeah. So right now, Scooby's trying to run away. He's trying to get away. Nowhere to go to. The thing that saves him is that he accidentally presses one of the elevator buttons, which makes the elevator jerk to a stop. And what happens is, it's very, for, for all of the really cheap, shoddy animation in this episode... The shot where the cat creature lurches forward and smashes his face into the elevator panel is really like, well, there's a lot. It's very dynamic. It's very well done. Yeah, there's like there's full body animation. It's pretty fluid. That in the scene where Scooby is jumping up and down with his hurt foot and maybe the locks are all really nicely done. And it's immediately this scene is immediately followed by the most ambitious, amazing scene in the episode um, where. Uh, the elevator continues to drop faster and faster, and we have a zero-gravity Inception-type scene in a Scooby-Doo episode. T- to the point where where Scooby and the unconscious cat creature body, just like limp, are floating in the air in the elevator. Unbelievable. A zero-gravity scene with the body of a villain. And he's floating. He's moving around. It's It's so carefully done. And they didn't have to do that either. The villain was already knocked out. Yeah, and I do think it is. I feel like it's a very violent way to knock him out. You know, in, in most episodes, you know, I know that I think in the first episode we did, he's hit by a plane. But something like falls on them or they're knocked over. or, or, or... Yeah, I mean, they're, t- they're typically trapped or, or entangled in some way. Um, not, not typically harmed, more just like enmeshed. Yeah, he, but he, again, he hits his head hard. It's just it's interesting to see that kind of violence done to the enemy on screen which takes us to the next scene the unmasking of the villain and so they at the bottom of the elevator the villain's knocked out they pull the mask off and uh who could it be but uh but haskell it's it's, it's that creep haskell (laughs) it's the doctor it is it's it's dr bell yeah haskell we never see again past the potted plant scene he does not show up again (laughs) or mr bixby oh man that honestly that would have been such a plot it being mr bixby would have been such a great swerve but also logical because it would explain the trapdoor yeah the trapdoor is the the thing that it's it's the one thing that's not explained um chicken costume makes sense giant scissors i'll accept it hot dog cart yeah why not but uh yeah, not Mr. Bixby. It's Aunt Olivia's doctor who is the villain. 
I really like this because what, what really stood out to me is not just that Olivia thinks that she's the cat creature, Olivia has a dream where she's the cat creature. Yeah, and I'd say this this episode had uh, one of the better mysteries in my experience. Uh, there were definitely some parts that weren't the best thought out, but it was uh, it was pretty good overall. And uh, and Evan, do you want to give us the uh, the how done it? Yeah, uh, doc- Dr. Bell says he could have done this with anyone, and apparently Aunt Olivia is extremely susceptible to hypnotism. Yeah, so he hypnotized her using the cat creature locket, which he mailed to her, and no explanation given why he put his own crypt, his own secret lair, as the return address. You don't have to do that. <laughs> the return address was the crypt with all the with all the cat creature stuff on it. It's... Yeah, so so the cat creature is an existing legend. We we have to assume that he co-opted this existing legend with this pre-existing crypt in the graveyard. And made his own costume based on that. Right. And that he didn't bankroll the construction of a, of a crypt and several marble statues. <laughs> a fake crypt. Although it's it's almost more believable than this, uh, ex- this crypt pre-existing in this New York graveyard. Well, yeah, the cat creature will rise again. Yeah, this, this odd prophecy out of nowhere. Uh, but the upshot is he mails her the locket, he uses it to hypnotize her, and makes her believe that she is the cat creature, which is why it was so convincing to us as the viewer. Here, here's the really fortunate thing for Dr. Bell. Aunt Olivia lives in a house that, as, as Velma explains, is full of secret rooms and panels. Full of them. Yeah, that's right. Like, wh- where did Aunt Olivia go when the cat creature appeared? And, oh yeah, where's Shaggy? What, did, didn't he die? I accepted his loss at this point. Right, where's Raggy? Just really quick, really quick sidebar. Velma says that the whole place, the whole penthouse is full of uh, secret rooms and panels. I feel like that extends to the entirety of New York City. There's a trap door in the basement of Bixby's jewelry store. There, mm-hmm. There's an entire sewer network that, that connects like all of these, these various areas. True. I, yeah, I, I definitely do think that it frames New York City as being a place that is just full of secret rooms and panels. Yeah, I think you're right. We have to believe that. Certainly in this house, as, uh, as Velma shows us, she touches on a random, apparently random square on the bedroom wall, and the entire bedroom rotates like the wall that the bed is backed up against revealing that there's a there's an identical bed on the other side of the wall apparently identical to the one that uh, we just saw disappear but in this bed shaggy is sleeping that's where he went also it's also an entire room when it spins you see the other side is a mirrored it's not just a little like like space like just enough room for a bed it's a whole room yeah, with like a bedside table that moves along with the rest of it on, we, we don't see the track. They don't get into the nitty gritty on that. The upshot is that's where Aunt Olivia has been sleeping whenever the cat creature takes over. And that's where Shaggy is currently sleeping and Scooby is overjoyed to see him. Scooby jumps up on him, is licking his face. It's uh, apparently Scooby did care about Shaggy ultimately. It's, it's nice. It's very heartwarming for sure. It, it really is. And, and how do we know for certain that the doctor was the cat creature aside from the fact that we unmasked him? Uh, it's the fact that his handwriting on the prescription he gave Aunt Olivia matches the address he wrote on the package. Right, which which really they could have found immediately. They could have found that out right away. Yeah, they had those clues at their disposal from step one, from the start. Yeah, this guy sent you this medallion. Let's send him in for questioning. Eventually he confesses that he's a creepy hypnotist. Right. The episode ends with Scooby and Shaggy spinning around in this revolving bedroom thing and getting flung. 
for sorry, mind you, for the second time in this episode, this is the second time they've been spun around at dangerously high speeds and then been flung in a certain direction. The thing about them being flung in this instance is that it is directly out the window of a penthouse apartment. Yeah, and and again, are are they dead? Is this the end of Scooby Doo forever? Uh, no, they're just hanging from a ledge. They're okay. And they're super chill about it. Yeah, we have one more one more chuckle and laugh about it before we cut to credits and see how many writers were in the kitchen for this episode. <laughs> right. They're flung out the window. The gang runs to it, not very quickly, just, you know, they're, they're, they're moving over. <laughs> if they're dead, they're dead. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's almost like, like they're taking their time because they don't want to see the crushed bodies of their friends at the bottom. Uh, splattered on the sidewalk. Yeah, who would? Aunt Olivia, who I do not understand, really. Uh, maybe it's a, her her mental state being very susceptible to hypnotism. She asks, I'm pretty sure it was her, what are you doing out there? Yeah, she does ask that. Like, like she doesn't see them flung. Like, like, she wasn't there when they were flung out of the bed. Yeah, it's like, this is your house. Did you not get the rundown when you bought it on all the secret rooms and panels? Uh, but Shaggy says, oh, we're just hanging around. Yeah, that's really, really the only reason she asks is so that Shaggy can say, oh, just hanging around, eh, Scoob? And then Scooby laughs. Yep, and that's it. Finn, the end. And then once again, yes, then the credits roll, and then you see that 11 people were on story duties. Again, they, these, these 11, I think just men, I don't think there are any women, but these, these 11 writers just threw so much at the wall, and a lot of it sticks. Like, a lot of it is, like, pretty good. Yeah, it was a very rich episode. The gang was not lacking for stuff to do, and uh, and it held my attention quite raptly. I, I am seeing here that one of them, his name is Haskell Barkin. <laughs> and I like to think that Haskell had a very, in one draft, had a very compelling character arc. Yeah, in that, in that draft, Haskell was the hero of the story. The gang all thanked him. They said, Haskell, we're so sorry. We thought you were creepy and always on break. But there was a lot of pushback from Lars, Dick, Willie, Dwayne, Tom, Tony, Dave, Norman, Dick, and Dalton. Yes, Two dicks. <laughs> Two dicks. Two dicks and a willy. <laughs> oh, fun fact, in every episode of Scooby-Doo, uh, it's always got at least two dicks and a willy on story credits. Okay, so uh, so final thoughts on the episode. There are so many threads here. I'm just going to pick up another thread. Of all the jewels that Mr. Bixby uh, would, would like returned, he, he said, oh, like, obviously all of my jewels are gone. The one jewel I really care about is the Redford Ruby. He says specifically, I don't really care about all the other jewels. Just, ju- right. Just the Redford Ruby. Uh, like, oh, hey, if we, if we see the other jewels around, do you want me to grab them? Nah, just don't, don't even worry about them. Take them or leave them. The Redford Ruby, that's all that matters. A man with one product. It's the pearl of great price. That's literally it, right? It, that's the story. His, the Redford Ruby is his pearl of great price. Yeah, and they explain it. He says, uh, it's the only uninsured item in my store. Wait, does he say that? No, <laughs> but it would explain it. Okay, all right. Yeah, no, it's, again, they're all of, like, I feel like there's so many details that are, that are highlighted that should lead somewhere that don't. Yeah, and the optimist, the, the generous interpretation is that these threads are there intentionally to distract. The, these are red herrings to make the the end reveal uh, all the more surprising and pleasing. Uh, probably not. But this was the funnest episode it could have been, and the funnest title it could have had. Yes, uh, again, uh, ma- make a beeline away from that feline. 
Yeah. It's such such a mouthful of marbles of a title. So I think it's fair to say that we both really enjoyed it. Like, we both got a lot out of it. Yeah, and I mean, I've only seen a couple other episodes in recent history of these original Scoobies, but it had everything I love about Scooby-Doo. It had a Scooby and Shaggy dressing up and doing gags. It had secret passages. It had a great cast of characters, even if some of them didn't get the screen time that they deserved. I mean, that doorman, he had he had a history we'll never know. <laughs> And and even if one of them was literally just Shaggy, <laughs> yeah. One thing that I th- that I think we should try to do uh, moving forward with next week's episode is seeing how how much development or how much attention Fred, Daphne, and Velma got. Record scratch. Nope. 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 We are we are not doing that. We are not talking about Fred. We are not talking about Velma. No, no, sir. We are focusing just on the core Scooby-Doo group. Scooby. Shaggy. Scrappy-Doo. And just a touch, just a touch of Daphne. And I mean, of course, there's the headliner. Oh, who could forget about Flimbert Flam? Flim Flam. Our next show that we're going to be doing next week is the 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo, episode one. A series without Fred and without Velma, where Daphne takes a small role, where Scrappy-Doo is present but almost silent, and where we are introduced to new, very odd characters. Uh, Flim Flam, you will get to decide alongside us whether or not he's an ethnic stereotype. It's, uh, it's confusing. And Vincent Van Gool, a Vincent Price-type character who guides the gang from his crystal ball. So uh, we hope that you are ready for that. We'd like to thank you so much for uh, for listening to, to our episode two, second episode. Make a beeline away from that feline. My favorite episode of Scooby-Doo that I've ever seen. Me as well. We would like to, again, we're thanking you. We would like to thank even more our Patreon subscribers. Our Patreon subscribers really, really keep our lights on. Our lights are on. Uh, we have one new uh, donor, one new patron that we want to shout out right now. Beth, Beth, thank you for uh, thank you for donating. You are you are the wind beneath our wings. But Evan, I'm sorry to correct you. This was an episode with some corrections, and I have to correct you here. We actually have two new. I donors. don't think that's true. I think it's yeah, just we do. Beth. It's Beth, and that's it. As we were getting ready to record the outro, we got one new donor. Sure, one new donor I don't donated. Believe, in. No, that didn't happen. I. I've just refreshed. I'm taking a look at this. This who is this what hero? Is this? Have I have I blocked one of our donors? Have I removed them from oh, our, from our list? You've rejected a donation. <laughs> you you didn't want that. Whoa! You think you can just keep floating without that one dollar a month? I definitely think I can. <laughs> you donated a dollar to your own podcast. I think we're worth it. And what you... makes you think that that's something people will respect or admire? Why didn't you donate a dollar to our podcast? What do you I'm have donating, against this? I'm donating fifty dollars. Fifty times your paltry amount. <laughs> You're leveraging your economic superiority. That's not fair. Get on my level. Thank you to all of our donors, especially our new donor Beth. You are you're making this podcast happen. You're showing us that this is something that needs to keep going. Beth, you are one of the greats, uh, all members of great distinction. Because we we have such a great appreciation for them, we just want to list them all right now. Here is your weekly shout out to all of our donors that have donated in the past. Thank you for your donations. Thank you for uh, keeping our podcast going. We love doing this for you. We're glad you love listening to it. We're glad you love giving us your money. And we love you. And I love you, Evan. I love our, our, I love I our lo- listeners. I, our, li- I, our listeners are pretty cool. They're nice. But I love you, Evan. Thank you, listeners. You're loved by me. I'm I, the one who loves you. I, I love and, you, Evan. Uh, that's it. We're wrapping up this podcast. I love you, Evan. Cover your holes. 